and welcome to another episode of the Wannabe Entrepreneur, the podcast about what's really like to bootstrap a company. Today, we have another interview for you, the listener. I have with me Anna Bibikova. Hey, Anna. Thank you so much for joining uh, this uh, session of the Wannabe Entrepreneur. Hey, hey. Uh, I'm so excited to be here. and Thank you for having me. Thank, thank you for uh, taking the time. Anna has a very interesting uh, entrepreneurial and bootstrapping story, and I, I hope to, to learn more about that and learn also from uh, Anna's experience. Uh, one thing that uh, definitely um, kind of caught my eye was the fact that you had a very uh, interesting business making 4 million, but uh, then it was kind of consuming too much out of you. You had a burnout, you decided to change things around and now you are more in the online business and uh, you have your own consultancy company. You have also a lot of interesting projects that uh, you jump in and you help other people building uh, their products, doing user research, doing marketing. So I, I definitely think that there's a lot for us to talk about. And uh, I would start things off, uh, as always in these interviews, to ask you, Anna, to introduce yourself in your own words and speak a little bit about you to our listeners, if that's okay. Yes, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for this chance to talk about my journey. Uh, yeah, that's as you mentioned, uh, I used to have uh, a pretty, uh, pretty Im impressive business. Uh, it was like almost four years ago when I had this, uh, went through this burnout. Uh, well, since I remember myself, I've been always inclined to do some kind of businesses. Uh, so I think I, I was doing some entrepreneurial stuff since I was nine years old, maybe. Uh, I just tweeted, I think, I believe two days ago, that my first job that I landed, it was... Um, I was in India then. My parents uh, were invited to work in India when I was nine. And when I was mm -hmm. 11, uh, I pitched myself to my schoolmates' parents uh, that I could be a very good candidate to help my schoolmates with math homework assignments. <laughs> when you were 11. Yeah, I was 11 then. <laughs> and I... I've never been, you know, a, a very talented math student. I believe I, I'm just very, like, on the very average level. But because I went to school, uh, I was mostly at that time homeschooled, but I just went to very remote Indian village to do some classes like geography and I think uh, environment studies or something like that. So, uh, but uh, my level of math was very impressive for this little remote uh, Indian village. And I pitched myself to their, to my classmates' parents that I could help their children with homework math assignments. I actually managed to land on my first job this way. In my favor, I would say that uh, I didn't get paid. It was an exchange. The sisters, they taught me, uh, gave me lessons of Paratnatyam, the Indian classic dance. And I, in exchange, I told their little brother is a mess. So that was the deal. And it was yeah. my first entrepreneurial <laughs> project. <laughs> it was so funny. Then um, I went to the university. I actually have a degree in uh, Oriental Studies. And I envisioned wow. myself in academia when, when, I, when mm -hmm. I studied. I wanted to 
you know, write books, maybe uh, do some archaeological research, go back to India again, because I saw, I was so fascinated and, and, and about this country. I was so passionate about its culture and history and traditions and cuisine, by the way. Mm, uh, yes. So I just wanted to go back there and do the research. But then... I, I kind of like had a boyfriend who was also in academia. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we started renting an apartment, we realized that at least one of us had to find, you know, this quote, real job yes. and uh, mm -hmm. not do just the research. And because he was a, a little bit older than me and uh, he was doing his PhD for two years already, we discussed it and we decided that it made more sense for me to just forget about my academia dreams and Ooh. go to find some decent job. Uh, that's what I did. I, Very uh, sad. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, uh, the only thing that I knew how to do, aside from the research, I knew how to create content. So I started looking for some job in a, that was content related. And I was hired as a PR manager and, and content marketing manager in a telecom company where, where I worked for almost a little bit less than two years mm -hmm. and that was my only the, the only time in my history that i was i worked as an employee okay. after that for 18 years i was building my own businesses because i realized that i was totally unemployable i just i, I i'm i was hor i was so horrible in being an employee because i always m was more focused on you know like making an impact uh trying to create a value and uh, if i didn't realize that i created this value if i didn't realize that i was doing something impactful something that was uh that was uh, that was really making a difference something that uh people really needed uh i felt constantly depressed because uh when i worked in this big marketing department i realized that like 99 of my time was dedicated to totally unrelated to marketing jobs like uh try waiting for our big boss to show up doing nothing just spending your time in the office doing nothing or just uh writing and rewriting and and writing again that content that would never be shipped or just uh, will be of no use to anyone uh and this this realization just uh, moved me to the entrepreneurial journey. And uh, when I was asked to join a team to become a co-founder in a content marketing agency, I just jumped on this opportunity straight away without, again, thinking what I was going to, uh, how I was going to make money, how what I was going to use to rent my apartment. And luckily for me, I didn't have this boyfriend anymore. <laughs> so I was just was on my own. And uh, well, I, I just started this uh, content marketing agency with two other co-founders who had much more experience in it than I did. Um, mm. uh, they had a background with Harvard Business Review and they knew uh, much more about content that I did. And it was such an amazing experience just being with people you could look up to, you could learn from. Yeah. And uh, I enjoyed every single day that I spent with them uh, building this business. And we did pretty well. Uh, I mean, in three years, we grew it to one of the top 20, I think, nationwide wow. agencies. Was this still in India? 
No, 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 no. It wasn't in India. Uh, I was uh, I was working in Cyprus then. So, so tell me one thing that I found really interesting. You you were born in Russia, right? That's right. Yes. And then you moved to India. So th this is something fascinating for me because I I was in India, and I have a lot of friends um, from India as well. And I was actually ne never in Russia, so I, I don't really know how how it is there. But it, at least in comparison with Europe, India is a completely different world, and the mentality and everything is is so different. Yes, it is. And and I understand when you say that it's fascinating because it, it is definitely fascinating. It's very interesting uh, because again, it's something that I've never experienced uh, before. I just want to understand how this experience in India affected you also as, as a person and, and as an entrepreneur. What were the things that you learned by kind of growing up there? It's very hard, you know, for me to talk about the, the, the ways that India influenced me because I, I never know how it would have been right if I stayed in Russia. Right. But the only thing that obviously made me different from other people that I met throughout my life, that, uh, again, I was very open, I, I, I believe so at least, to opportunities that could be unimaginable for other people. Like uh, I was very, oh, I became very open to uh, differences in cultures, to diversity, mm. to different points of view and to different, you know, ways of seeing the world. Because sometimes, especially now, it's very important to understand that right now in uh, like in the world that uh, mostly went online with all this social media, we all somehow in exist in our information, our own information bubbles. Mm, exactly, we, yeah. we like we want to communicate with people who are like us, and we want to hear the points of view that we share. And if we don't, if we don't share some point of view, we just block these people. We just don't follow them. Yeah, and that somehow creates these uh, little information bubbles that we feel very comfortable in and we like believe that the whole universe the, the whole world share our opinions that is totally untrue <laughs> it's just yeah. the people in our information bubble who think like us who uh -huh. we follow who we exchange these opinions uh but the world outside this information bubble is much wider it's much more diverse it's much different and uh like i think living in india for so many years uh, the important thing that it taught me is that uh, there could be totally different points of view, something that you you don't believe in, that you, that you don't share, mm -hmm. but they also have their own right to exist. Right. And uh, the more different points of view you listen to, the more uh, diverse opinions and experience you try to embrace and absorb, yeah. uh, the the better off you will be, the, the, the more successful, the more understanding, the more like full your picture of the world would be. Yeah. Uh, and you will meet and understand much more opportunities and you will meet much more interesting people. Even if you don't agree with them, it doesn't mean they, that they can be interesting yeah. or accomplished or Definitely. experienced or whatever. And you know what? I, I'm very passionate about behavioral economics now and i i try to read what, what is that yeah so why people choose this product over another 
how to understand the pricing point. Or for instance, uh, the recent research that I've been reading, it's very interesting in terms of understanding how bad and good experience influence the overall impression of the product. For instance, you, we all know that uh, then happy customer would like go out and and, uh, and and tell bad things about your product to 10 other people, right? So uh, every founder tries to create a good impression on everyone. Right. And uh, founders try to invest a lot in customer service because that's very big pain point for every product. When a consumer isn't happy, they mostly unhappy with customer service. Yeah, and uh, well, but they know that if uh, if customer isn't happy, they will probably go and pitch you and uh, leave a very negative review on your product uh, on the internet on social media. As they will start talking about uh, how unhappy they are, and uh, that will increase the risks for the product itself. And actually, there's been a research. I think uh, I read about it. I just don't remember where they run this research, maybe 10 years ago, maybe 15, about like colonoscopy, you know, this uh, procedure when, when you put the little tools to see what the insides of your of your guts. <laughs> right? oh, yeah, there's yeah, something yeah. wrong with your body. And what can be more unpleasant than that? Right? <laughs> there is very few things that you can think of that are more unpleasant than colonoscopy. And, and still scientists figure out that the, the, the experience can be totally different based on the length of the procedure, the ways people remember the experience, the, the ways they perceive how unpleasant it was actually depends on the length of the procedure. So the faster it goes, the more negative memories they have about really? it. Really? Yeah, that's, I would say it would be the opposite. Because, because I will tell you why. Because there is like the end of the procedure, uh, the, the closest the end of your experience to the lowest point of your experience, the more negative memories you will have. So if uh, and, and all the way and all the way around, the closest the end to the higher point of your experience the more positive memories you will have. That's why, and you, if you look at the, uh, uh, the successful products, you will see that that's exactly the case. Like in Disneyland, or take the, ro roller, coast, uh, the roller coaster, mm -hmm. the highest, the most exciting loop, it's always like located closer to the end, right? right? So that's why we, we go this, wow, experience, and we remember it because the highest point of the experience was located very close to the end. Right. And it was an unpleasant experience. When they last, when, when you have this very short experience and it's very unpleasant, and the end is very close to the lowest point, you will have more negative memories about it. And it was proven with this cal colonoscopy experiment. When <laughs> they made the procedure a little bit longer, so the body gets used to these unpleasant feelings and then they have two more minutes or five more minutes until the end of the procedure. The mm. memory is like 80% rated this experience less negative than it was in the previous group. That's fascinating, mm. right? It's very interesting. And I think it, it, it's also now if I think about movies, right, or 
or uh, theories, the the peak is now always more towards the end, right? So it's yes, not exactly, the, the climax exactly. of the story. It's always more uh, more towards and the end. And all the principles of storytelling, if you look yeah. at it, right? This the 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 moment of truth, the the, the high pitch moment, the moment when you you uh, that that delivers the whole value of the story. It's usually located. You try to locate it as close to the end as you uh, mm -hmm. as you possibly can, because it will it will be the one that people will memorize and uh, these kind of things are very important to use again uh, marketers try to use it in uh, in actually structuring consumer experiences so if you are having this uh, you know very unpleasant conversation uh, with a very unhappy customer on your Uh, in the call center or when they reach out to customer service and they, they narrate their, their problem, their pain points, and they're very unhappy. Even a little bit, you know, just asking them to take two more minutes to rate the experience or to answer some very generic questions at the mm -hmm. end of the conversation. It already will have a positive impact on the overall memories of the customer about this experience because... Mm -hmm. The end point, the end point of the experience doesn't match the lowest point. If you take another, you know, two, three minutes of their time yeah, yeah. just chatting about generic stuff or mm. asking them to rate or just asking them some generic questions, it will already influence their experience in a more positive mm. way. This is this is super interesting and, and super useful also for uh, for startup builders and bootstrappers. We were talking about diversity and about including yeah. different experiences in your uh, in your worldview. And all the latest research in behavioral economics and behavioral science, they show that Basically, our brain, we don't actually know the, the outside world, the, the, what, is the, what is the reality, because our brain being locked inside our, our skull, it doesn't have direct connection with the outside world. So we basically, our brain is a big machine of creating predictions. Right. That's the, 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 the modern like contemporary view of, of, what, uh, of uh, what our brain does. That's the whole point. Uh, our brain has to predict if we have to switch on, flee, or uh, a fight instinct, right? right. Is it, mm -hmm. Are we facing something friendly or are we facing something dangerous? And it has to create these predictions very fast. Based on millions and millions of signals it gets from the outside world, but also based on our personal experiences. Everything that we went through throughout the years, it's like this knowledge base that our brain uses to create these predictions. And obviously, the more like diverse experiences we're having, the more diverse conversations we're having with totally different groups of people, obviously with people who we agree with, and again, with people who we disagree with, it creates, it, it contributes to this knowledge base, to this, like, uh, the material that our brain uses to create the predictions. Mm -hmm. And obviously, the better we are, the, the more opportunities we face and the more right. interesting, uh, interesting experience we will have in future. Yeah. And it also helps to to break the the 
misconceptions, right? So I, I remember, um, for instance, here here in Portugal, there was a telenovela <laughs> about India, uh, and then it, there was all of these misconceptions. You know, it was all the cliches, you know, the casts and, and dancing and so on. And then when I started actually meeting a lot of friends from India and actually going there, I saw that it's it's much more complex, much much different than than uh, what they were portraying in that series, right? So yeah. you also get to see with your own eyes and really understand. And then it's also you have some an extra argument when when you're explaining this to people, right? So now when I came back and my parents was like, yeah, in India there. I don't know. They still have a lot of the caste system for for friends. And I said, no, it's actually changing. That's uh, most of my friends don't don't care about that. So it's, it gives you an extra argument also to discuss with them. Yes, that's exactly. But you know, we are just human beings. It's easier for us to oversimplify things because, again, there are so many signals in the outside world that it's much easier to create this very simple mm-hmm. picture mm-hmm. of the world. Right. It, it helps us to be more efficient and operate faster mm-hmm. when we deal with simpler things. But yeah. as soon as you start digging into any subject like Uh, any specifics, you start realizing there are so many layers that you no one is even aware of, right? So that that picture is much more complex (laughs) and much more interesting than you could have imagined. But but then I have a question for you, Anna. Um, When, at least I I feel like this, you, you, when you live in your own, your own bubble, somehow it's easy for you to make decisions because for you, everything is clear. It's a uh, uh, black and white and you say, okay, this is my decision and everyone else is wrong. The moment you start understanding others' perspectives, you start, as you said, you start to see colors. You see, okay, there's many shades and, and there's many opinions. Does it become harder for you to make a decision because you're always unsure since there are so many possibilities? Yes, absolutely. That's the case. Uh, that's obviously the case. As soon as you start including different options, as as soon as you start including this optionality or randomness or just uh, different uh, shades and aspects uh, of reality and, and your uh, and your decision-making process, uh, obviously it becomes uh, more complicated. But again, uh, with, 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 with a simplified picture, it, it, uh, maybe in terms of psychology, psychologically, it's easier for you to decide this way or another. But then in this case, you much more uh, make yourself vulnerable to uh, anything that can go wrong. Because you don't include this uh, optionality in your picture, uh, there is no plan B for you, right? You only mm-hmm. understand plan A based on your uh, worldview. That is uh, super simplified. So you think that also by exposing yourself to different perspectives, it's, uh, you also become somehow more flexible and it's easier for you to maneuver when uh, something doesn't go your way. Yes, absolutely. That's 100% the case. Mm -hmm. Because uh, as soon as you start realizing that there are so many factors that can influence your success, you start creating this risk management (laughs) options. Mm -hmm. At least you start thinking as a risk manager. You start realizing that this thing can go wrong, these things can... Okay, obviously there always will be black swans, right? Something that uh, yeah, that yeah. you never could have predicted, like this current situation with like obvious war in mm-hmm. Europe uh, or like COVID. No one could have predicted it. Yeah. 
Uh, there are obviously things that uh, will happen that you would never have guessed mm -hmm. would happen. But again, as we can see with COVID, we adapted to it pretty fast mm -hmm. because there are so many things that were already in place that we could use to uh, get the most out of this situation in terms of medicine, in terms of technology, in terms of communication. Uh, maybe no one thought about like go all the uh, global economy getting shut down, <laughs> right? And everyone being locked in their own houses. But we already had created so many tools that we could use for these purposes. And people started thinking about these plans B from, from day one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If we were not flexible, if we were very, you know, like very existing opportunities focused, like this is how we think it should be. And we don't want to be flexible. We don't want to think the other way around. Yeah. I, I believe that would never have happened. We were still like, we would be still sitting, waiting for vaccines to show up yeah, miraculously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that this this mindset is crucial for any entrepreneur, right? You need to think about, um, have multiple plans, multiple exits. Uh, and uh, I think this is also a great bridge to, to for you to tell the story of uh, of the, the company, so is is the company called Shanghai Pot the one that was making yeah, the formula? Yeah, that, that was my uh, my basically third one. Uh, uh -huh. That uh, when I when I exited when I when I sold my equity in content marketing agency because mm -hmm. we started when web started to explode basically so many uh, aspects so many customers of ours so many people start moving online and I re realized that. That's the future of communication. We should start moving online. But my co-founders, they were very, you know, this kind of people that didn't want to think about Plan B. They yes. were already in their comfort zone. Yeah. They, uh, first of all, they were much older than I was. And they were uh -huh. already seeing, like, we're doing, we were doing great. We right. had so many customers. We had revenue coming in without any extra efforts from our side. We already had built a brand, we had built a reputation, and people were, we, most of our deals were just inbound. People were just reaching out because of the referrals, because of the, mm -hmm. again, CEO that was working pretty well. For people who are, like, maybe have achieved something, Mm -hmm. It's actually very hard to move to new markets and new industries where have to they have to admit that they're like newbies. They don't know anything about it. They have to hire someone to help, like a consultant or whatever, and they have to start again from from ground zero. And I just said, okay, no worries. I'll just sell my equity and I go out there and build my own agency. But that's not what happened. I, I was invited to help with building a magazine for retailers. How, how were you invited for that? How did you get the opportunity? Like a friend message you? Yeah, that, that was through, through, through the friends. And you were in Cyprus. Yeah, and then you so moved. I moved back okay. to Russia to, to help them with this magazine. And mm -hmm. that's how I realized that, okay, there is a whole new big industry that is growing in um, in this country. After like six months of working with the magazine, I realized I wanted to build my own retail chain as well. 
So I didn't want to be only about content. I wanted to be about product. Mm. And uh, I started be, uh, opening these stores, uh, uh, but I tried try, try to include my, uh, you know, Oriental studies background. Right. Um, and I tried to integrate this passion that I had about India, about Asian culture, about Asian cuisine. And mm-hmm. I basically started opening Asian grocery stores. And uh, also, I tried to integrate my experience with content marketing. And it was m- not just regular grocery stores, but we also had cooking classes there. So it was like mixed concept. It was a uh, cooking school together with a grocery store. Wow. So people could come in there, they could cook, they could learn how to cook Asian cuisine, and they could also buy some products like ingredients mm-hmm. for the food they were about to cook. Mm-hmm. What's the investment for uh, opening such a business? Uh, I tell you, it was just, uh, I fundraised for just one store. Okay, so, so you went to uh, fundraising, you got tried to get I, invested. So I invested the money that I uh, got from selling my equity in the content marketing agency. All, all of the money? Uh, no, I found a, co- a co-investor, but they just invested right. in, in, uh, in, in one store. So mm. that was the deal. They would invest in one store and they, they just exited. I, I bought out their equity as soon as it was start growing. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and I like the concept because it was it was a challenge to bring the the product to the market uh, that mm-hmm. didn't have this culture of Asian Asian cuisine. Exactly. Yeah, I, I don't know much about um, Russian culture, but what I again the misconceptions maybe is that uh, it's everyone is more closed. You know, okay, this is our food, and and coming with such you know an external type of food and cuisine. I, th- I thought that would never, never work. Uh, was that yes. a problem? Yeah, that was the challenge. I mean, I, if I opened it in Europe, I, it maybe yeah. would mm-hmm. have grown faster because there is, again, there is big Asian community in Europe. There are exactly, people yeah, yeah. from Thailand, from India, obviously, from China. So there is already ready to serve market, right? There are people you can reach out to, to mm-hmm. sell your product. But on the other hand, the competition is much higher. So there are so many grocery true, stores. Even true. here in Cyprus, we have Asian grocery stores. And they're very, you know, community-based. So all these stores are run by the representatives of this specific community. So if it's an Asian, uh, Indian grocery store, it will be like 100% run by someone who is like from India. Because they have connections with uh, the the um, the supply side and the the demand side, they yeah. already have roots in the community here, and they have connections with the suppliers in India. So it makes sense for them to open an Indian grocery store. For me, it was like very challenging because I didn't have like strong connection with. The, oh, okay, I had some connection with the supply side, had some connection with manufacturers and suppliers in India because. Like I basically grew up yeah, there, yeah. Uh, but it wasn't do you, do you like direct the connections. It was not not like my family owned the plant there, right? Right, right. But do you and speak anyway, do you speak Hindi? Can you speak? Yeah, I, I spoke. I, I mean, I, I speak Hindi, but I, I did not use it for so many years. So okay. it, it's like dormant. I I can read mostly now. Uh, I, I can Sanskrit. understand, you can but read I will Sanskrit. not start speaking wow. because language is something that moves away very fast from your memory if it's not mm. an active use. 
Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and, and, and it was totally different in Russia because there was no big Asian communities here. I mean, especially in European part of Russia, there is big Asian community on the Far East, relatives of Chinese people. Uh, but in Europe, uh, uh, in Moscow, uh, there are not so many mm-hmm. Indians or Chinese or Thai people that you can like immediately reach out to to make them your customers. And uh, so my my idea, my my goal was to reach out to Russian people and to introduce them to Indian, Chinese and Thai cuisine because that's a much bigger market. And that's what I I now try to convince founders not to do (laughs) under any circumstances, that when you have to educate your customers about Mm -hmm. the problem, you try to convince them that they have a problem that your product is about to serve. Mm -hmm. It's a very hard and challenging journey. It demands is a lot of the investment. Basically, you have to invest a lot. It's either time or money. Mm, Right. You have to start buying commercials on TV just to pitch yourself to uh, most of TV channels, trying to, to get on all information distribution channels that you can think of or it just takes a, lo- a very long time to, to to bring this product to the customers. And it did. It took me maybe three years just to get the flywheel going. Wow. So though it was basically a startup, the mm-hmm. innovative concept, and I tried to address the audience that was basically not ready for this uh, concept. It took us three years. Uh, I, I say us because I, I was like, uh, the, the, I had this co-investor, but they were not right. basically co-founder. They did not uh, yeah. contribute. Uh, into, they were like silent partners. Yeah. Mm, mm-hmm. But I had a team okay. uh, of like choosing managers, marketers. And, and just for me to understand, like what was your situation there? So you invested the money. Um, mm-hmm. Were you also taking a salary from from that? Uh, how how were you surviving? Yeah, I, I, like I didn't take any salary. I'll tell you for I think eight months. Okay, uh, that how long I could last on my mm-hmm. my own savings. But after that, I kind of started taking salary because I had to feed my family. And because there was a store uh, with retail, it's maybe a bit easier with with the software product because right. with the store uh, again it's location location and and, and yeah. location yeah. And, <laughs> and you uh, we, we've chosen we invested a lot in choosing the right location and we started getting mm. revenue from day one okay so yeah. it wasn't Good. profitable for a very long time it, mm-hmm. it brought revenue from that so I, I still had some turnover to basically take my Take for my salary. It took us three years to to grow this pro this, it's a, uh, long this time. Concept it's a long time and to 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 get the flywheel going. But I believe again, it's because I I just caught this trend very early on when Russian people started traveling a lot. They started like going to Thailand, to to Goa in India. So they, yeah. they started like seeing the world and this when this middle class started growing, the, the, the level of life started getting better. They started mm-hmm. watching something else aside from something that they had 
got used to. Yeah. So this trend, we just caught this trend. Like we were in the beginning of this trend and we basically grew with the market. Yeah. You created the trend somehow as well, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I believe so. I tried to contribute a lot in this. Yeah, in the interest yeah. in Thai and Indian cuisine that eventually happened. Like it was an explosion of this interest in in, in the beginning of 2000, like 2010, 2013, before mm-hmm. this horrible, again, this war that Russia started. But mm-hmm. again, the, the whole product, maybe the whole concept, I closed it because I, I was in a very big disagreement of the international politics. So mm-hmm. the, the trend that brought us to the top, it also brought us <laughs> to the bottom uh, because what, what emotionally it was very hard for me to start to, to keep doing business in this country. And I'm very happy, you know, that I, I, I didn't face the decision like a month ago uh, because I obviously couldn't have carry on with this project yeah, yeah. Uh, well, well, and paying taxes to the country that yeah, people. Yeah, yeah definitely. In the... And it's interesting, uh, speaking a little bit about that, that so Russians started to travel more, right? So they mm-hmm. were also broadening their horizons and, and broadening their, their mindsets. Um, so I guess there's definitely also a lot of people in, in Russia that are completely against uh, the invasion and, and what's happening because also they, they know that other perspectives and I, th- I really believe that by traveling people start kind of opening as you said opening their minds and accepting other uh, ways of thinking right uh i can tell you that all friends that i have left uh, that i left in russia they all got uh, arrested because they were protesting Whoa. like every single one of them it's like scary. everyone that I know in Russia, like my all my friends, all, everyone, like uh, I went to uh, the university because I, I went to university in Russia, this Oriental Studies degree. Uh, it's from the Oriental Studies Institute in Moscow. Like everyone that I know from, from that time and people who I worked with uh, in my retail project, they all got arrested. Well, because they were protesting. I, I, yeah, obviously, like many people, again, uh, uh, these educated people, people who, again, embraced the global culture, mm-hmm. the diversity of thinking, they, they, they like, the, the right for everyone to live the life that they want. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, basically, uh-huh. the right to be free. Uh, they, <laughs> they, they, they obviously against this uh, campaign as they use as they call it i know so many people are just afraid to express their point of view because they believe that they they it will harm them or their relatives or right and it rightful so right if, if you protest and you get arrested i mean i would be scared too <laughs> to be honest if you look if i look at the history of like russia every generation in the last 300 years they have this disruption in their in, in their history every uh, every like 30 40 years they have mm-hmm. this big revolution or war or something huge happening with the whole generation and people they 
many people in Russia that I personally know, they they're just so afraid of any change. They they just want don't want to go out there and protest because it's like kind of inducing change. They right. just want to hide and pretend that nothing is happening because every generation in like 300 years they went through some some very big disruption. And right. it, it impacts culture obviously mm -hmm. somehow. It's it's hard. It's very tough topic. But yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's very hard for me to say that I'm against it and you know help refugees here in Cyprus. We have a lot of them here right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. And like go to protest. We went out to protest with my three year old and my eight year old. Mm -hmm. We went protesting every weekend. But here in Europe, it's so safe. It's totally different. It's it's uh, just trying to put myself in their shoes, and it's a very hard situation, right? Uh, also, with all the sanctions, that uh, it's definitely affecting uh, the life of, of a lot of people there in Russia that do not agree with this. Uh, so it's it's really hard. So in, in your uh, in your point of view, what what is the way out? Like, is is there a solution? Do you think? Oh my, I'm definitely <laughs> not a politician, and uh, I mean. You know, in ideal world, in a perfect world, every solution should be left to entrepreneurs, right? Yeah, I think a, a lot of entrepreneurs also mess up the world, right? If you think about the oil industry, or so even like you think about the social media, it's also bringing some down uh, effects, know, it's right? Not the entrepreneurs, that's the usage of maybe social media, right? That's not right. The, the. It wasn't the, the the whole idea of creating like Facebook for people to start spreading hate speeches there. Mm -hmm. The idea yeah. was to connect uh, students of the some specific colleges together right. and uh, like make them offer them a tool to share their journeys, their experiences, and, and stay together online. True, but if you think about, for instance, Facebook, they the monetization was also a problem, right? So selling selling users' data. Yeah, that's right. It's just like with the atomic energy, right? Uh, you can create yeah. a bomb out of it, but it can also, it's the safest way to create energy and it's the cheapest one. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. It's much cheaper and ecologically friendly than mm -hmm. burning coil, true, for instance. Mm -hmm. And I totally agree with you. I think entrepreneurs, that kind of motivates me. Like you have the possibility as an entrepreneur to change the world. I think you can, then you also... With is uh, as the in Spider Man, right? With big uh, responsibilities uh, comes uh, what is it? Big responsibilities come big. Uh, no, with big powers come big, big responsibilities. responsibilities. Yes, and exactly. with entrepreneurs, is the same, right? So they have we have big powers when the powers to change the world, and we need to use it wisely as well, right? We can change it for the better, and or we can also change it for the worse. Yes, but I yeah, agree with you. I yeah. believe, you know, uh, being a parent and, and having this, uh, like, written on my sleeve every single day. <laughs> yeah. So, quickly going going back here to, to our storyline, because we're also kind of running out of time, but I, I would still like to understand um, what happened here. So, definitely, I, could, I couldn't understand when, when you're uh, building Shanghai Pots that uh, it was a lot of stress for you, because you're, like, teaching people about all this Asian cuisine and, like, somehow creating your own market which is super super tiring how, how long were you working per day uh, you bet i bet you're doing crazy yeah hours, it was right? i think about like 16 about 16 sometimes wow. even 18 hours a day and i also had my first baby then wow yeah. and uh i think 
basically, you know, I have no one to blame for the the, the fact that I, I went through this burnout. Mm-hmm. Uh, it obviously, it was all my fault. I probably don't have enough leadership skills to... Mm-hmm. So you didn't delegate enough? Uh, yeah, and I, I, I am mm-hmm. a, like total free control. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't delegate a lot. I micromanaged a lot. And I think the, the biggest, my biggest failure was that I did not pay enough attention. So I, I paid lots of attention to marketing side or distribution channels. Mm-hmm. I tried to, you know, bring our brand to the customers uh, using all the opportunities that I could think of. I mm-hmm. pitched myself to all TV channels, to all, you know, podcasts. Uh, like uh, I, I, I tried to establish connections with all the influencers that I, I, I tried, I could find out in this mm-hmm. field. And, uh, but I did not invest too much of my time into building a strong team, uh, into like trying to, to create a, a solid structure around this business uh, in terms of uh, people management, in terms of t- talent management. So I, I built more or less uh, like automated workflows around marketing, Mm-hmm. Uh, around purchasing, uh, around uh, like uh, financials, because again, when you build like big retail chains, there is a lot of uh, like uh, cash flow going through, and you like can negotiate better deals with the banks. You don't have to fundraise; you just can go can go and, and get a credit because you have like pretty impressive level of revenue, mm-hmm. even if they look in your books. And they realized that it's not as profitable as it could be, but just the revenue, the turnover is a very good tool to, to negotiate the, a better deal with the bank. Yeah, yeah. Gives you a lot of but credibility. I didn't invest too much of my time and energy into people, into building yeah. a strong team that could deal with the business when I like uh, out of sorts, when I get sick or I just when I, I want to take some time off or when I... So basically, I was into every single process that deal wow. with hiring. When you're building a company and you start hiring, there are two options for you. You either have to hire players A, that would be, you know, entrepreneurial spirits, people that you don't have to to to, to provide this very direct guidelines. Mm-hmm. You just mm-hmm. can, t- can tell them, here is your goal. You just go ahead and try to get there. And they would build all the processes around it. So basically, that's players A. But you have to invest a lot of your time into creating an A game for them. Because Mm. they would stick around only if they're not motivated very easily with monetary rewards. They are not into it for salary. They want to grow as uh, as yeah. uh, professionals. They want to grow as pers- people, as persons. They want to understand. They want to be excited about their, their yeah. work every single day. They want to make and, an impact, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's why I left, you know, that big corporate world because exactly, I was this yeah. entrepreneurial spirit and I didn't want to stick same, around same, because same they didn't me. have nothing to motivate me, me with. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I, I mean, I, I went in there to be into, in for salary, but I couldn't stick around for long because I'm not just, just this kind of person. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you, if I hired someone who were like me, I like didn't realize that they also had the same like exactly, buttons yeah, to yeah. push on. They they they, 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 they had the same motivations. And I tried to build my, uh, you know, rewarding system, the compensation plans based on only like how much they they can make. And mm. they probably went in for salary, but again, they didn't want to stick around because I didn't provide them with the A game, right. something that they would be challenged uh, to. Uh, to the, I didn't provide them with challenges. I didn't mm. provide them with the something that 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 would excite them. So you couldn't keep them. You couldn't keep them in the in the company. Yeah, they they would end up leaving the company, and uh, I just was like facing this. Uh, necessity to hire more and more people every got it, day. Got it. just trying to to navigate all the all the aspects of this business trying to wear all the hats yeah and that le- led you to a burnout yes it uh, it led me to a burnout how, how is that how did you feel it uh was it the the classic like you couldn't do anything just yeah, looking it just was to... like a classic depression I, there were little early science when you know when i started waking up every single day uh like i'm trying to not to get out of bed as long as i could just uh, not embracing uh the uh upcoming events the Mm -hmm. day that i was facing not thinking about it in a positive way because you were such a um an important piece of the whole business that I guess it was also not easy for you to just, okay, let's disconnect now for a month or so. Uh, you couldn't do that, right? Yeah, exactly. So exactly. how did you fix that? How, how, how did you get, did you like eventually say, okay, I can just not do it. Uh, I need to, to kind of uh, take care of my health first. Uh, how, how, did you, how did you get out of, the, of that situation? Uh, uh, um, I actually was starting of thinking second baby. <laughs> Okay. That was that was my biggest motivation. So I realized. I mean, I always wanted to have like more than one, mm-hmm. and uh, at least two. And I, I started seeing that the, if, if uh, because I also wasn't the only child in the family, and um, I started seeing you know this very selfish, very selfish like kind of uh, attitude in my elder one that he started like seeing himself as a center of the universe right uh, he had no competition in the family all the relatives his parents uh, as, uh, but for me probably because I was working a lot he was very like self-focused and 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 trying to to um, kind of manipulate people too much right. and I didn't like it a lot and I, I was like feeling that I, I'm, I'm not getting any younger <laughs> again. Mm-hmm. And it was time to start thinking of the second child. And I realized that I just can't do it uh, living in this uh, in this kind of crazy 18 hours working day. Right. It was impossible. It wasn't healthy for anyone. And I started thinking, how can I make it less intense for myself? And... Uh, also, I started realizing that I just could not do it. So when did you when did you leave? What year? Nineteen okay. eighteen. I just shut it down and then I left. Ah, okay. 
so very somehow recently, right? Uh, four years ago. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I can say that I just shut it down. I, I just sold some, uh, yeah. some of the assets that were sellable. Yeah, it was two, two million annual revenue. Mm. Uh, but uh, not, not all the locations were profitable. With retail, right. it's, it's just it's very low margin and very capital intense uh, type of business mm -hmm. where you have very impressive revenues. But sometimes I remember this month that I had to max out my credit cards to pay the salary. Wow. Uh, that might sound crazy, but it happens sometimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, uh, the, the, the locations, uh, I, I tried to, to, to separate the assets that they were profitable that I could sell and mm -hmm. I, I sold them. And then the ones that, wow. uh, were not so like sellable, just what, what an amazing experience you have. I, th I find it so interesting. You, you've done so many things. Um, and, and now you are now, I guess your, your main, uh, um, business is the consultancy company that you created, right? So you, you're trying to go a little bit more smaller this time? Yes, yes, I definitely, uh, you know, with this experience that I had with total, you know, emotional breakdown uh, that I had, when I moved to Cyprus, it's very quiet location. There's mm -hmm. very low crime rates. It's a great place to be in if you are eight years old or if you're over 88 years old. It's Missing yeah. place for little children and for retirement. <laughs> uh, it's definitely not the best maybe location for someone who is very ambitious and it's right, right. More very, you know, now it's changing because again, many, many uh, startups are, are, are trying to, to get here. Uh, many, many developers from Russia who are fleeing from the country and from mm. Ukraine, they, they're coming here. Well, when I moved in here, I was totally sure that I would do nothing for like until I I die. Like when I <laughs> until I'm eighty years years old, I would do nothing anymore uh, because I was so tired. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, obviously, in, in in after three four months, I started looking for <laughs> other opportunities. Stop, yeah. What can I do here? And I was invited. Actually, how I ended up with uh, like startup mentorship uh, and dealing with startup community. I uh, like was invited to lecture in a local accelerator, uh, local venture fund. For, mm -hmm. uh, they have an accelerator for local startups. Uh, the, 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 the founder of this venture fund, he was a friend of mine. He's a friend of mine uh, from my previous work experience in Cyprus. And they asked me to just come and lecture the founders, talk to them about building businesses. And because I, I, I build this, a retail startup, they, they thought that I had this experience that would be valuable for them. I mentor with the Founder Institute. I, I, they, they have global presence uh, with the headquarters in, in the US, but uh, I mostly deal with Eastern European uh, startups and Middle East startups. Okay. Because of the time zone, it's closer. Mm -hmm. And uh, But with Middle East startups, you know, with companies, uh, with someone who is trying to build something in countries like Iraq or Afghanistan, yeah. it's especially tough. But I mm -hmm. feel very, you know, that, that I really make an impact when I help them to build even something yeah. as small as little business that would bring food on their own table mm -hmm. and help them to feed their families. It's already great. 
yeah. deal for me. I think for an entrepreneur, this is the best reward. You know, let us make our impact. Let us uh, help someone else. I think that's that's definitely uh, yeah, exactly. what what we exactly. want. And uh, Anna, thank you so much. I will uh, link your uh, Twitter on uh, on the show notes of this episode and anything else that you want me to sh to show there. I will. Um, so that everyone yeah, can uh, I'm also, follow you. I'm also like uh, trying to be more active on LinkedIn. Okay, we'll also share that. So I would appreciate if you link my account from there. Yeah. And uh, yes, that's basically it. I also create uh, lots of uh, written content. I have a newsletter, but anyone who follow me on Twitter or LinkedIn, any social media, they can easily get a link to my newsletter as well and, and get okay. my content in their mailboxes like once or twice a week. Perfect, perfect. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Uh, it was amazing to chat. Uh, uh, again, I always appreciate this opportunity to, to talk to, yeah. and, to more founders uh, and deliver yeah. all the experience and knowledge that I have. And you have a, a great story to tell. And now for, for the listeners... If uh, you want to listen to more entrepreneurial stories and journeys, make sure to go to wannabe-entrepreneur.com. We have a lot of interviews and a lot of episodes for you. And uh, if you want, uh, if you are a beginner bootstrapper and you want to find a community of people to help you out, check out the WB space, our community, our virtual co-working space for entrepreneurs. And we all work together in our projects. It's really fun. So make sure to check that out. This was another wannabe entrepreneur. See you next time.